You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. This is a sermon from our series, A Better Way. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Just to kind of FYI real quick, so next Sunday, uh, one of our uh, missionary partners is going to be here. Actually, he was, he was the, the man who taught me to preach in seminary. Uh, his name is Ramesh Richard. He came about five years ago, for those who were here. And he is a tremendous preacher. Most seminary profs, let me give you an inside scoop, are boring, boring. I mean, boring. But this guy's not. He's a great preacher. Uh, he preaches all over the world, has a great ministry. So he's on his way to see his son, who's a pastor up in Greenville, South Carolina. And he's going to swing by. He's going to preach both services. Just an awesome dude. So I'm excited for that. He was here a couple years ago and did a great job. So he's going to do a great job again. Uh, also, I just want to thank all those in the room, men and women who are veterans and uh, we want to thank you guys for your service. A lot of y'all. A lot of struggles, and, and uh, we have a lot of military uh, in this community in our church, and we are real grateful for them. Uh, so thank you guys for all you have done and are doing. So, All right, we're going to finish today this series that we started, seems like forever ago. Uh, it was forever ago, and I'm glad we're done. I'm telling you. I've been trying to walk a tightrope for 10 weeks, not get fired. And so I'm almost done. I've got one more sermon to not get fired in. Um, for if you're visiting, we've been doing a series, we've called it A Better Way, and it, it's been a, really a, an examination of a biblical sexuality is what it's been. And we've covered lots of different topics. But in the end, kind of we had three guiding principles that kind of, that we threw out there that just kind of keep coming back to, and I'm gonna kind of remind you of them again. Number one, that our God is a good God. Right? It's impossible for him not to be good. And so since he is good, secondly, his design is good. The way he created the earth. Now, has it been marred by sin? Yes. But it is still good, and the purpose of it is good. And so thirdly, we find life and freedom when we put ourselves under the good authority of what God has said. Since he is good, since his design is good, he gets to tell us how we should do these things. And, and we find life under his authority. That is very anti-American. Because what we believe is I'll find freedom and life when I do what I want to do. Because I, you know, love me some me. And I want to be in charge. And, and actually that we see leads to slavery. It, it leads to bondage. And we find actual life putting ourselves under the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who says, take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. Right? So those have guided us, and those are important as we think about today and, and the topic we're going to kind of talk about, um, because what is evident to us, if we're kind of paying attention, is that the last 10, 20, even 30 years, our culture has undergone a significant transformation in lots of areas consider, uh, around sexuality. Um, and so today, I just want to broad stroke 50,000 feet, let's talk about how as a church, as followers of Jesus, how do we handle that? What do we do? Uh, same-sex marriage, uh, all the issues with transgenderism and, and same-sex attraction, all these things. That is a broad topic, right? It's hugely broad. And, I, and if you're visiting, you're like, what have I walked into? Well, congratulations. <laughs> We're glad you're here. Um, but here's the deal. This is why we've talked about this is an issue of discipleship for us as a church, right? As a follower issue. And, and this is real. And here's my prayer for today. I, I am well aware of my inability and my weaknesses in communication. And so my prayer has been, and I've spent some time this morning uh, in John 4, praying 
uh, and reading, uh, you know, how Jesus interacted with the woman at the well, my prayer is that I would be as gracious as Jesus and speak as truthfully as Jesus. That, that is my heart. And I know that I have propensity to go, you know, this way or that way and, and, and shoot up from the hip sometimes. And so I've spent lots of time praying to just, that God would use me in a way that he wants me to use. And so I, you know, I just want you to know that because this is, I'm not afraid of tough topics. I'm afraid of misrepresenting tough topics, right? I, you know, if you like me or not, or the sermon, it's not going to hurt my feelings. But I, I don't want to misrepresent Jesus. Uh, he's our king and I, and I want to honor him. So that's been a huge thing in my, in my uh, heart. The second thing is this. I'm going to open some cans of worms that I ain't going to close. All right, I'm just telling you, I, I, there's too many questions. I've been researching this topic on and on, on and off since July. Read many a blog, many a sermon I've listened to, many a book. And I got to summarize that in 42 minutes. It's not going to happen. All right. So if you've got questions, we'd love to sit down and talk with you about them. Please just email the church, call us. We've got lots of pastors that would love to. I'm also going to show you some resources in a minute that will be helpful for you. My, my ultimate goal, all right, is the church has been horrible about beating people up with Scripture. Beating people over the head with the Bible. And let me encourage you and say, God did not give us his word to beat people up. He gave us his word so that we would know him and, and know truth and find life, right? And so this is not a talk that's going to be, you know, no one's going to get beat, right? My heart is to represent Jesus as well as I can. There are things that have been done hateful in the name of Jesus. There are things that have been awfully, people have been treated awful, in uh, some here maybe, in the name of Jesus and, and that's not this. What this is, is we are a people who God has called to be salt and light. And we live in a time which sometimes it seems like people have lost their minds. And so we have to, how do we, how do we respond? Right? So I have two big picture goals. Goal number one is that we would be equipped just a little bit. What does the scripture say? Right? I want to equip you with some truth. Right? Because this is a huge issue. There's not a person in this room that this doesn't touch somewhere, whether your roommate struggles with this or you have a child, this is their lifestyle, or you have an uncle or a friend or whatever. It, it's just so broad that we, it touches all of us in some ways, right? You can't even listen to talk radio. I can't I listen to radio anymore in the car because of, you know, just everything that's out there. So we got to learn how to handle it biblically. And so we're going to unpack a few scriptures. And I want to I let us know a little bit how we got to this point as a culture. So that it's, it's helpful to understand how we can interact with the culture if we know where we came from. And secondly, and this is the big goal, is that we would be a people that are marked by the hope and love that are in Jesus Christ. That, that is my ultimate goal. I, our, my kids go to a pediatrician in town. Many of you probably go to the same pediatrician because he rocks. But so you go into their office and they have the sick child area and they have the healthy child area, which is like has the, the wall of China blocking, right? <laughs> and so all moms know, and a few dads who have taken kids, is what you do is you check in and you make a beeline, especially if it's just like, oh, it's just a checkup. You make a beeline for the healthy kid area. And you're like shielding your child. Don't even look at them, honey. Don't even look at them. All right, they might breathe on you, right? See, that, but see, here, here's, here's why that relates. We treat church that way. Right? You, some of you come to church thinking, I just need a little bit of checkup, but I'm not sick like them over there. Right? That's how we treat. So we're all like, ooh. But here's the reality. Every single one of us is sick. 
There ain't no healthy room in the church. There ain't no little area cornered off for the healthy people. We're all equally broken and sick. And so the response ought to be like, when we get in here and you're sitting in the waiting room, so what are you in for? I'm a liar. What about you? Oh, I'm just a jerk. What about you? Uh, you know, I like my beer too much. That's the room. That is the room. And if we cease to be that room, guess what? We should close the doors and I will go sell insurance because we are not a church. Jesus says, I have come for that, those who are healthy, those who are sick. So in coming in this room, you're acknowledging you're broken. But we have to keep that mentality. That's a church, right? Otherwise, we shut it down. So here we go. We're going to start. I'm going to talk a little bit. How do we get here as a culture? Um, and talk some, a couple of passages, and I'll close with like some responses for us. But let me give you some resources real quick. They'll check out. Okay, four of them specifically. I've shared a couple of these before. This book is God Anti-Gay by Sam, Al- Sam Albury. Some of you are familiar with him. He uh, is an Anglican from Great Britain, and in his early teens, he recognized he had same-sex attraction. And so he has uh, committed to a life of celibacy because he believes what the scriptures teach, but he speaks extensively on this subject, and he is an expert, and he's awesome. And he's just got a great accent too, but, um, but he does podcasts, and he's got, this book is, is a great resource. Right? What does the Bible say about same-sex attraction, uh, homosexuality? It's just a great resource. This one right here is probably my number one on the list just because it's, she's such a good writer. But Rosaria Butterfield, she was a professor at Syracuse. She was a lesbian, and she was loved into the kingdom by a pastor and his wife of a little Presbyterian church. Um, Secret thoughts of an unlikely convert. Now she is married to a Presbyterian minister uh, and up in, like, I think Virginia or someplace. She's all over the place. She actually has a follow-up book on hospitality. It's a really uh, big book out there right now. So those are really good ones. Um, next one, Gay Girl, Good God. I haven't read this one yet, but I've read a bunch of snippets and reviews. This is by Jackie Hill Perry. I don't know if you know her, but she is a spoken word expert. She's awesome. She goes into churches and kind of does these uh, spoken word poems and things. Phenomenal writer. I've just read pieces in a couple chapters. And uh, it's her story. She it, uh, was lost in her teen years, and she was lesbian in a relationship, and she came to the grips with the gospel, and now, now she's married. She got a, a kid or two, uh, but she's phenomenal. Uh, just speaker and writer. It's a really good read. And then this is kind of your baseline. Cookies on the lower shelf. Kevin DeYoung is a Presbyterian pastor up in, uh, in Charlotte. And he is about as good at taking difficult concepts and putting them on the lower shelf. That's why I like him, because I can't read those difficult things. So it's just a summary of here's what the scripture says. And it's a little book too. It's a great little resource. I think you know, these are Amazon $10 books. If you have questions, these books will help a lot deeper in specific areas. There's one more actually I didn't put up on there. It's... Um, a God in the Transgender Debate by Andrew Walker that I read. That's a really good book, um, pastoral book of how do we handle these issues. Andrew Walker, you can, um, you can look, look at that one on Amazon too. Just some resources I've looked at in preparation, but I want you to get them in your hands if you're looking to go a little bit deeper. So how do we get here? Right? And I know for some of you, you're like, man, it's as bad as it's ever gotten. Oh my goodness. Oh. You're spazzing out. Look, it's actually not as bad as it's ever gotten, believe it or not. You go back and read first century history, um, Corinth, Ephesus, it was like Mardi Gras on steroids every day, all right? Um, prostitution was normative, pedophilia was encouraged, homosexuality was all over the place, right? You go to worship temples and, and there'd be prostitutes. Okay, that culture was much more hostile uh, in this area than the one we may be living in now. And that is the, that is the world the church was born into, 
which is very interesting because we always hear in these kind of a lot of denominations, well, we just need to adapt to the culture and change the message. Really, because the first century when the church was born was in a worse culture and they held fast. So I'm thinking we should probably hold fast, right? But so understand it's not, you know, the, the wheels aren't falling off. Jesus is still alive. Um, the gates of hell are not prevailing against his church. But we need to understand a little bit why things are the way they are. And Alberry, I listened to a podcast by him about a month ago and I took ferocious notes because it was so good because it was helpful for me to understand why culturally we are where we are. Just what has happened that has changed. And he summarizes four ways, four areas that have changed in our culture that, that really uh, explain a lot to me. Because, and this is so important, y'all, because you, you who are 28, 25 and under, this is the only world you really know. You just grow up and you just, and when I say something that is countercultural to what you heard, it seems weird. When I was a, a kid, we used to drive from Philly down to Greenville, South Carolina, where my uh, grandparents were every year. And so we were on one trip, I can't remember, it was like early 80s. We're driving, and my dad, we stop at a gas station in like West Virginia. And he comes back, and he's bought a tape. Right, a tape, 25 and under, is this plastic thing. And you put it in your car. And it would play a song. You couldn't skip, right? You just had to listen to it, right? But anyway, you can go Google that. But he puts his tape in, and I'm like, what is this? And all of a sudden, this the strangest music I've ever heard is playing in this car. And I have to listen to it for 10 hours. It was Abba's Greatest Hits. Okay, now... I, and I, you know, I'm thinking I'm a hipster, like sixth grader or whatever, and I'm thinking this is the worst music I have ever heard in my life. My mom and dad are jamming, they're mama me in, they're, you know, uh, dancing queen in. I mean, they're killing it in the front seat. And this is back in the days, young people, where there was no TVs in your cars, okay? <laughs> or seat belts, for that matter. Um, but we, our trip, you had to look out the window and listen to ABBA. That's what you did, okay? There was no headphones, there was no, right? So, but here's what happened over time. I started learning Fernando. <laughs> I started learning these songs and something even weirder, I started to like them. <laughs> and so yesterday, my, you know, my wife and, and daughter are out of town and so me and the boys are cleaning and so I get out the iPod Amazon and what do I put on? Abba Gold. <laughs> and I am jamming and sweeping and dancing queening and I'm all in, all right? See, this is, this is actually a very biblical concept. It seems strange at first, but when you renew your mind with Abba, you start realizing these people are really good. When you start renewing your mind with truth, even if you grew up in a day that didn't know Abba, what happens is there's something about truth that's attractive because it's true, and you start thinking in a different way. And our goal is to think biblically, right? It's to think what, what scripture says. And so I know some of these things are going to be a little bit out there. That's because you have never listened to Abba. We're going to play some Abba, right? We're going to listen to what scripture says. So here's four significant changes last 20, 30, 40 years that have really gotten us where we're at right now. And they make a lot of sense once you hear them. Number one is that our moral intuitions have changed as a culture. So there's gut feelings of right and wrong, right? The, the, the intuitions that drive those gut Reactions have actually changed. And the primary factors now of whether something is right and wrong, three questions that are typical. Is this harmful or not? Is this fair or discriminatory? Or is this freeing or oppressive? 
right? That's kind of the, that makes right or wrong. Those kind of answers to those questions. And you can see why now same-sex marriage is, is so widely accepted, even in young people in the church, because question number one, is it harmful or not? Well, it doesn't hurt me, so it doesn't really matter. Is it fair or discriminatory? Well, it's not fair for my parents to be able to get married and me to get married, but they can't get married. It's not fair, right? Is it freeing or oppressive? Well, if they're just being who they are, then that's what it is. So you see, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just telling you this is why we got where we got. This is, this is, this is how people judge truth or not, right? It seems right. This is also why when you say, well, the Bible says, they're like, yeah. It has no traction with them. Because their, their, their sense of right or wrong is, is it oppressive? Is it fair? Is it, is it hurtful? Right? Again, not right or wrong. It's just where the culture is. And you've got to understand that. Right? Second thing is views of minorities have changed. Church and the culture have been horrible to certain people groups over the years. And I don't need to even go into this. Whether it's racism or uh, sexism or, you know, all the isms. But what has happened now, because of the harmful treatment and the hatefulness and the bullying that the pendulum has kind of swung some way. So a person that might have been part of one of those groups that was oppressed, their voice actually now has more credibility in the public square, right? Uh, so if you're an atheist and if you're an African-American lesbian woman, your voice is much more valuable than, or more heard than this. And if you have a differing opinion in the public square than this, it needs to be shut down because it might be hurtful. Instead of having a dialogue and being able to actually have a civilized country now where we can say, hey, I disagree, but I still love you. No, no, you have to, if you don't agree with me, we have to shut you down. And, that, and that's where we're at as a culture. Again, not right or wrong. I'm just kind of explaining it to you. Third thing is views on sex and marriage have changed. And, and I don't need to go into this. We've talked about this. But the idea that sex is not tied to intimacy or anything deeper, it's just recreation. It is just a physical transaction. Sweep left or right or up or down, I don't even know one or the other. It's just that. It's not anything else. And a marriage is just a romantic, flexible contract. And as soon as that, those romantic feelings may or may not leave, then I can get out of the contract, right? And so, it's, you know, it's just a different view of where these things are has uh, led to where we're at. And then finally, and this is a big one, anthropology has changed. And so the real you is the you you feel inside of you, right? And it's your job to discover who you are, and only you can do that, and then you live that out. And no one else can determine your identity. You determine your identity, and your identity is not tied to your body because your body is just an atheistic, evolutionary piece of goo that kind of came together. It has no significance. It has no, it, there's nothing deeper there. It, it doesn't matter. It's, it's just the canvas in which I live out my identity. So I get to decide my identity, and my body is insignificant, right? It, it, and that's, that's where we're at. There's, you know, there's no DNA, there's no genetics, there's no XX or XY or whatever. I don't even know. Um, it's just whatever I think, right? Again, I'm not saying, I'm not right or wrong. I'm just saying this is where we're at. And so when, when you grow up in that and then you hear Abba, you're like, that's weird. But we got to acknowledge that. <laughs> you got to own that and not just get mad. Oh, I can't believe you. You know, it sounds like Abba to them. And God has called us to reach a group of people who have never heard Abba, right? And so how do we do that? How, do we, how does this place become a doctor's office with Abba slightly playing in the background, right? That's what we want, all right? And so let me, let me give you some texts that I think we need to get under our belt, and then we'll jump into some reasons, uh, some things that we need to kind of, how do we need to respond? Um, here's Mark chapter 1. 
If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the slides. Mark 1, this is Jesus going live. He's been in obscurity for 30 years. He's been a carpenter. And now he's going public with his ministry. John the Baptist has shrunk away. And he comes out. And here's, here's the first thing he says. This is before the, the greatest commandment, the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's table, everything. He says this. He, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And he makes this amazing statement as if all of history has been kind of pointing at this moment. There is it. Here it is. The time is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And there's two responses. One is good news. It's believe the good news. The gospel means good news. Believe in the gospel. But there's also another command. And there's a, it's a costly one. It's repent. Repent and believe. Now, if you've been here any amount of time, you've heard repent is a kind of a Bible word. It just means a turnaround. 180. Do a turnaround. Not a 360, a 180. So this past week, I, my family and I were going up to Atlanta for a volleyball game. We stopped in Macon. We usually hit the Chick-fil-A right there in Macon. You know, the one that's right off the left. But this time we were going to splurge. We were going to God's country. We went to the Cracker Barrel, right? <laughs> so I'm getting some chicken and dumplings. It's, I mean, it's like heaven on earth, right? The kids are getting, you know, hot chocolate. We're, we're eating the Cracker Barrel of clogging our arteries. It's a beautiful thing. So, so then we get in the car, we leave, and the, the, this Cracker Barrel is kind of behind everything. And so you come out and you have to make a right. But the problem is I needed to make a left. I needed to get on 75 north towards Atlanta. I don't need to go right and go 75 south. And so I had to make a, a choice in the middle of this four-lane highway. And I, what I did is I repented right in the middle of the highway. <laughs> I, looked, I looked around to see if there was a state trooper. And I repented after I did this. And then I just, I swung that bad boy around right in the middle and I repented. And I went north instead of going south. That's ultimately what repentance is. You're going south on 75. You need to turn around and go north. You do a U-turn. That's repentance. And Jesus says, he shows up. And this is the beauty. Who's, he says, everybody. This is a command for everybody. All of y'all. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. All of us need to believe and turn. And what's the question is from what? How bad the world is? The world's so bad we got to turn? Later on in Matthew, Jesus is asked a question about uh, his, his disciples are not washing their hands before they drink and eat. And, and the Pharisees are all mad. They're like, oh, they're unclean, they're unclean. And Jesus kind of says to them, he corrects them. He says, don't you see that whatever goes into your mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Right? What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This is what defiles a person. You drop an M&M, five-second rule, you get that puppy up, you eat it. It doesn't make, it may, you might get some bacteria, all right? But it doesn't defile you, and the M&M is worth it, okay? <laughs> but that doesn't defile, what goes into your mouth does not defile you. What does Jesus say? It's what comes out of the heart, out of the heart comes what? Evil thoughts. Out of the heart comes what? Murder. Out of the heart comes adultery. Out of the heart comes sexual immorality. Out of the heart comes theft and false witness and slander. These are what defiles a person. So what is it that we need to repent from? It's from our heart. The psalmist says the hearts are desperately wicked. They're deceitful above all else. All these activities are signs of a broken heart. And we need to turn from our broken heart. And notice in the list is sexual immorality. That's the Greek word porneia. 
It's an all-inclusive word. Because often you'll hear this, you'll hear this, that well, well, Jesus never says anything about homosexuality. It's, it's, there's, there's a longer answer there, ultimately, that everything that Bible talk, every, every verse that might say something about sexuality in any case is, is inspired by the Spirit, because the Spirit inspires the Scripture. So the same Spirit that Jesus speaks with is the same one Paul writes with. But Jesus, he, he, he clearly says right here, Pornea, and that covers the gamut. That covers friends with benefits. That covers sweeping, you know, right or left. It covers sexting. That covers any immoral behavior, living together before marriage. All these things are covered in this one term, right? So he has actually said something about it. And, and the church is, here's where the church has failed. We have cherry-picked our sins, haven't we? We cherry, we, oh, we'll go right to the homosexual, oh, did you not see the other things in that list? How about evil thoughts? Right? right? Let's talk about slander. They're all in the same list. But what we have a tendency to do, because we're in the, we go to the doctor's office and we go right for the healthy room because we think we're healthy, we choose the things that aren't our deal. Maybe, maybe this is not your deal. Maybe immorality is not. But maybe you are a gossip. Right? Maybe you have anger issues. You know what that's a sign of? a broken heart that you need to repent of. We can't cherry pick our sins. We don't get to do that, right? Another thing we've been really weak about in the church, and we haven't, and I, it, some of the resources I mentioned have been super helpful to me, is that we, we have, can't lump temptation and sin into the same conversation. The temptation or the propensity to sin is not sin. We're all tempted in many ways, each of us. And you might have same-sex attraction. Statistically, 6% in the church do. But that's not, that's not sin. A temptation to sin is not sin. Some people have gender dysphoria. Some people lust after every woman that walk in front of them. They're all behaviors that need to be repented of. Some people talk about you as soon as you leave the conversation and they can't stop talking about you. That's the same evil heart that needs to be turned from, right? It, that, the idea, again, that Jesus is an equal opportunity offer to everybody. Repent and believe the gospel, right? And I'm not saying that there's certainly more ramifications for some sins than others, y'all, all right? Maybe doing a U-turn in the middle of a road, not wise, right? And, and, but the consequences of some sins are greater. So, and Romans teaches that, that when God, people deny their creator, God actually gives them over to a heart that is opening themselves to some sins. So I'm not denying that there's, there's different repercussions for sins. But the idea that you're in the good room, you're in the healthy room, and other people in the sick is not a biblical idea, right? We all call to repent. And if, you're, if you are a consistent gossip, and you're like, oh, I know, God says it's bad, but you don't care, and you're unrepentant, I'd be concerned that you're really a follower, right? If you're always angry, 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 right? And you know it's wrong, but you just don't care. You're unrepentant. That's not a mark of the people of God. If you are greedy all the time for more, 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 and you're never generous and you never give to the people of God, you never give, you're just always hoarding, 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 and you're unrepentant about that, the scripture would say that's not a mark of the people of God. That's not that you can't have done those things, but if that's, if you have sin that you know is wrong and you are unrepentant and you're not fighting it, living with your girlfriend, shacking up, whatever, you have to question whether or not you're following Jesus who says this is sin and you need to turn and believe the gospel, right? That's the idea. All of us, all of us are sick. 
We're all sitting here with the tissues and sniffling and snorting, right? We're broken and your desires can't be trusted. Your heart is, you can't trust your heart. Look, my heart on a weekly basis, I am sitting on Duren and I want to get out of the car with a baseball bat and smash every windshield in front of me, okay? I, that is my heart. I have to repent of that, right? I can't follow my, follow my heart there. They don't, I'll end up in prison and be doing prison ministry for life, okay? If I follow my heart, I'm in jail, Right? And so the idea that we can just decide for ourselves and do what you want, right? Adam's fall rendered my heart and my primal feelings untrustworthy. Right? If, if I, it's so, I read an article this week. I was like, perfect timing, Lord. There's this dude. I think he's, in, he's somewhere in Europe. And some of you saw this article. He's 69 years old. And he wants to change his age legally to 49 years old. Do you see that? I think it's brilliant. And the reason why, you know why? Because he is discriminated against on the dating sites because he's too old. And so, and, and you're like, that sounds ridiculous. But his argument is actually logical because he says, well, everyone else is changing their birth certificate to male and female, like they were born a male, but now they're changing it to female. So why can't I change my age? It's, it's actually a pretty good, I mean, it's dumb. I mean, it's ridiculous. But he's like, his thing is, I, you're only as old as you feel. And I'm healthy. See, what we need is not to trust our heart. We need someone from the outside to speak truth. Someone who needs to go to old boy, dude, you're 69. You're using just for men, all right? Okay, you need to chill. Someone needs to come from the outside and speak and say, this is truth. This is what truth is. Because the argument, oh, well, you know, if they really love each other and everyone loves each other, right? right. Just because God is love. Because that's an argument. God is love. He'd want us to love. Does not mean that God approves of everything that we call love, love. Right? He is the one who defines love. He knows more about love than we do. And so we need to listen to someone from the outside because my heart can't be trusted. Right? And again, it's true that Jesus never said anything specifically about gay marriage in Scripture. He never once mentions gay marriage. He also never mentions heroin use. Pretty sure that Jesus is not a pro-heroin guy. He also never says anything about beating your dog. Pretty sure he would not say, he would say, no beating dogs. Beat your cats, don't beat your dogs. <laughs> don't email him. I, don't beat your cat, all right? Spay and neuter, y'all. I'm like, I'm like Bob Barker up here, right? <laughs> but he actually, in, in speaking about what we've already read about Pornea and saying this is from a, from a wicked heart, Jesus actually does address what marriage is by defining what marriage is. Here's an important passage for some of y'all, right? Matthew 19, again, the Pharisees are attacking him. They ask him a question. They're trying to trick him because if, if he goes too intense on this side, they're like, oh, we got him. If he goes too soft on this side, he get, we got him. And yet they're asking about divorce. Can we just divorce for any reason, right? And look what Jesus says. He says, have you not read? Remember, these guys were experts on the Bible, experts in scripture, experts in the Old Testament. He says, in your expertise, in all your studying and reading and memorizing, uh, have you ever got to say chapter one? Have you not read, this is quoting Genesis one, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And then he jumps to chapter two. And he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus makes a unbelievable statement here. 
Quoting from Moses, the guy they go to. He says, because you have this thing called male and female, Genesis 1.27, you have this thing called marriage, Genesis 2, right? That marriage is actually predicated on male and female. That's what makes a marriage, right? That is massively countercultural, I, I know. And I wouldn't say it if Jesus doesn't say it, right? But it, it, this is where he goes, he says, they, we have marriage because we have male and female. And the two become one flesh. That is only possible with male and female. It's the difference, the diversity that makes them unique. Let's, let me be clear what he's not saying. He's not saying that, that uh, gay people can't love each other, can't be committed to each other. Uh, there's plenty of, of couples that are. That's not the debate. The debate is what kind of relationship comes from a male and female. It is the one flesh relationship that complements each other. And this is what all of creation is. There's complementariness in all of creation. Light, dark, earth, sea, heavens, earth, male, female, all these different things, right? And so that's the nature of his creation. And we don't get to decide. This is why God is good, God's design is good, his authority is good. We don't get to decide what God has brought together let no man separate. And the, and the reason it's, it's more significant than even what he says. Because we, we've got to get through saying, well, the Bible says it is true. The Bible does say it. But why? Do you know why it's so significant? Why marriage is such a big deal? Uh, th- that's more important even what it says because of what marriage pictures. Why, what is the purpose of marriage? Why did God design it? Let me give you a hint. It's not about you. Ultimately, marriage is like a movie trailer. So a couple weeks ago, I saw a movie trailer man, I got super excited. I am like two weeks away and I'm like, okay, for those who grew up in the 80s, there was this movie called Rocky IV. This is back when Russia was our enemy. They kind of still are, but they really were in the 80s, right? And so Rocky Balboa goes to Russia to fight Ivan Drago, who just killed Apollo Creed, right? And so he's fighting for no money. He's fighting on Christmas. I mean, it's like all American in. And he goes 15 rounds with the Russian, and takes him out. And at the end, the Russians are yelling, Rocky, Rocky, right? They're cheering for our guy from Philadelphia, right? It's awesome. Well, guess what? Creed 2 comes out in two weeks. And in Creed 2, you got Ivan Drago back and you got Rocky back. They're both old men, but they're in it. And then you got Ivan Drago's son is going to fight Apollo Creed's son, Michael B. Jordan. Right? The, the Black Panther bad guy, that guy. And it's awesome, and I cannot wait. Right? That trailer has me stoked for the movie. And I don't even care if it's bad. It's going to be good. I don't care. <laughs> Have you ever seen a bad Michael B. Jordan movie? Come on. Let's be honest. Right? But here's the thing. I'm not going to be satisfied with a movie trailer. I got to see the movie. I got to see the movie. Marriage is the movie trailer, and it points to something big. Jesus and his church. And that's, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 when he quotes that verse, a man shall leave his father and mother, holds his wife, and the two shall become one. And he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Your marriage is a, a walking picture of the gospel. It's supposed to be. And it's predicated on male-female. It's predicated on that, where Christ is the bridegroom and we are the bride. It, 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 and this is ultimately a picture of God's covenant faithful love, of the two becoming one, of Jesus who left heaven, became a man, died on a cross so that we might be his bride. But you got 
now us one with God. It's huge. And so, so the reason why Christians treat marriage as sacred is because it is. The same reason we treat, y'all, race as sacred. Ethnicity and race is sacred. You realize that? This is why the civil rights movement and, and segregation and all these things were wicked because it devalued people who were made in the image of God of all colors and all races. Look at the throne room of heaven. It's not a bunch of white dudes, short white dudes like me. It's every nation, every tribe that is part of your eternal identity. And it's significant, it has value. That's why we treat it as sacred. Sexuality is sacred, ethnicity is sacred. It is good, it's part of you. I will forever be short white dude. Hopefully a little taller in heaven, maybe God gives me a couple inches. But I will always be male, I will always be this race, and that's good because I'm made in God's image. And you will always be what you are and have an eternal. You realize that? Jesus was born as a man. He will always be a man. You're a man, you're a woman. You're this race. You will always be that. You'll be glorified, you'll be perfected, but you will always be that. It is part of who God made you. It is part of your dignity and value. That's significant. That's why we guard those things with our life. That's why racism is evil. That's why sexism is evil. It's wicked. It's sin, right? But to, to, to equate what's going on in our culture now with that, it's not the same because one is a choice that we make. Yes, maybe because of a broken heart, but it is a moral choice. It is not a moral choice to be of a certain race. And so we can't equate these things, right? We can't make them the same. Uh, we need to understand, we need truth to come in from the outside because some of us have never heard Abba, right? We've never heard it, right? So let me give us a couple things and then we'll close. How do we respond? I know this is a lot, y'all. It's heavy, trust me. And, and I'm telling you this, y'all, because I love you and Jesus loves you, right? And it's my job, if no one else in the world will stand up and tell you what God says, it's my, it's my job. He's called me to do it. He will, he will, I will once it stay, stand before the Lord Jesus and he will evaluate my service and I will stand before him for how I spoke truth or not. And I am more fearful of that than if you like me or not, really, because he's the king. No, I'm not, right? Just a little guy, right? But let me give a couple things that we, we can do to make this place a doctor's office, because that's what I want it to be. Number one is this, always point to a savior. People come to the doctor's office to get healed. You don't have to heal them first and then they go to the doctor's office. And what we often do is try to get someone cleaned up before they come to church. No, you can't clean anybody up. You ain't the doctor. You know, God's the only one that can change a person. God is the only one who moves in a heart. God is the only one who opens the heart of man, right? What we do is we point people to him. Let him clean them up. He is the savior. Point them to a savior, not to a, get, a, get, get cleaned up. Here, Jackie O'Perry in her book, one of the quotes that I love, and, and I'm gonna share it with you, and it's, it's just, it's, it hits the nail on the head. God is not calling gay people to be straight, he is calling all of us to turn from our sin and believe the gospel. Right? We, we, we make it a false gospel if we say, you gotta turn and be like me, or be like this. Look, so, some people have different struggles and that's the way it is, but we are calling people to a perfect savior to find hope. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and Jesus gives them rest. So we need to keep pointing people to a savior. Let him do the changing work. Let him bring the spirit of God in them and it will move and change their lives. Number two, we need to be experts in hospitality. Experts. Jesus enters into our world 
and he dwells with us. And it's our job to move into the world of all people, right? In fact, Rosaria Butterfield's second book, her follow-up to her, her conversion story, it's a book on hospitality. Some of y'all ought to read it. Hospitality is just the love of strangers. What I've realized in just studying and reading and even interacting is, do you realize that people of uh, just different beliefs and, and maybe the homosexual community, they, hate, they think we hate them. Do you realize that? They think that Christians hate them. Transgender folks think that Christians hate them. And you know what? Sadly, some have been super hateful. And I wouldn't call, if they're hating people, I wouldn't call them Christian because they don't know God. Because the greatest command is to love God and the second is to love their neighbor. But people think we hate them. Isn't that, that should sadden us. It should sadden us. And so what we want to do is we want to live in such a way that titles like bigot and hateful don't stick. So if there's somebody in your neighborhood that, that's in a lifestyle that you don't agree with, that they, they, they're all their friends are like, oh, Christians are bigots and Christians are hateful, that they would be able to actually stand up for you and say, well, maybe so, but I know this guy and he's a Christian and he's not like that. Because he has us, we have, we, we go over and watch movies every Tuesday night at his house and when we go out of town, he watches our dogs and that you're so hospitable, loving a stranger that, that that title doesn't stick. That is what we want for our church. That's how this place will be a doctor's office, that we know people, right? Because let me just tell you, in our culture, if you have no relationship with people, they will not listen to you 99% of the time. They just won't. It's not, it's not the same world. Remember those four things? If they don't know that you care about them, if they don't know you're interested in them, they do not care about what you have to say. They just don't. That takes time and, and just pursuing people, right? Jesus was a friend of sinners, Someone befriended you, sinner. They're, people are not projects. They are made in God's image with dignity. They're loved by God in Christ. And even if you disagree with them, you love them. I disagree with my spouse all the time, right? But I love her. I die for her. I disagree with my kids all the time. They disagree with me, but I pay their cell phone bill, so they have to listen to me. <laughs> just because you disagree with someone does not mean you're unloving. It should never be. And some of you might need to just get rid of social media because you cannot handle the truth anymore, right? Cut off your right hand, Facebook. That's what Facebook is. Cut off your right hand. All right, next one. We need to, we need to do a better job acknowledging the taking up our cross, All right? Jesus calls the crowd to him and he says to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, do you want to come after him? I do. Okay, so this is for you. If you want to come after him, he says, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's your job to carry your cross every day. It's we need to do a better job acknowledging this, but we also need to acknowledge that all crosses are not the same. They're just not. Some crosses are different. And sometimes, especially y'all in the area of sexuality, when this has been part of the, an identity or a, a temptation, it feels like following Jesus, and Alberry writes about this, it feels like uh, following Jesus is death. And in a way, it kind of is. What does he say? Whoever saves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life, that's death, for my sake, will save it. There is a side of you when you were breaking with sin, when that's all you've been doing, and this is your identity, that you feel like you've lost something you have. You've actually gained life, but that is carrying a cross. And let's not make discipleship so easy. Carrying a cross is an instrument of death. We need to die daily. Some of you need to die daily to your lust and your pornography. Let me just... Side note, we, we have a lot more heterosexual sin to deal with in this body than we have homosexual behavior. Let me just tell you. 
Some of you need to die to that. Some of you are angry all the time, and you need to die to your temper, and you need to carry that cross. Some of you, you break the law constantly. I did it this week. I admit it. I repent. I turn around. But you are constantly cheating on taxes, speeding, doing things, whatever. You need to repent, right? You need to carry that cross. You, you need this, we need to do better about doing this. This is why we say this sexuality issue is a, is a discipleship issue. And I understand that the world is going to say, because they've never heard Abba, that you got to be true to yourself. And that you, you'll only be happy if this. And you, you never get to be, if you don't fulfill this sexually, you'll not be happy. Let me just remind you of this. Jesus was a fully human being, the most complete person who ever lived. He was never married. He was never in a romantic relationship. He didn't go to the prom. He never had sex. If, if sex and, and all these things are intrinsic to human fulfillment, then Jesus is subhuman. No one was more, more, more content than Lord Jesus. And so, it, it, yes, it's a significant part of life, but it is not all fulfillment wrapped up in this. And the reality is this. Some alternative lifestyle or whatever will not actually lead to life and happiness. It doesn't. It leads to enslavement. I can read statistic after statistic. I, I did a lot of reading this week from not Christian sources. I'm talking psychology and science and all these things. And the one that was the starkest kind of just broke my heart was that the life expectancy of those who are full-fledged in the, in the homosexual lifestyle is like 20 years less than, than uh, the non-homosexual. Shocking to me. In fact, one study I will share, uh, Sweden was, is considered the most uh, gay-friendly country in all of Europe, right? So 1944, they legalized same-sex everything. Um, they actually have a law now since 2003 that a sermon like this is actually against the law. I would go to jail. You can't even talk negatively about anything. It's the most pro-friendly gay country in the world. And you would think, well, everyone there is happy then because they can do whatever. Actually, suicide rates in that country are 300% higher. It's normally 200% for homosexual couples. It's actually higher in that country where there's absolute freedom. The life expectancy for men is like, homosexual men is like 56 compared to uh, non-homosexual at 74. 20 years. And women, it's like 76 and 56. It's not leading to happiness. It's actually leading to, to devastation. And as a church, and as people who love people, I, I don't want you to die 20 years earlier. I, I, don't want, I, don't want, I don't want depression and anxiety to be skyrocketing, divorce rates skyrocketing. I don't want brokenness. And so we point to a savior, right? We're not calling people to be heterosexual. We're calling people to, to be holy. That's what we're called to. And if you're in this room and this is your struggle, and I know, you, I know that it is, I know it is, because we've talked to people and I know. You need to understand, you are welcome here. We love you. We're gonna help you walk with Christ. And he may, like Jackie Hill Perry, uh, God has taken that desire from her away in her story. She's married and he has children now. But Sam Albury, God hasn't taken that desire away. And God may take that desire away and he may not, but his grace, according to Paul, is sufficient Paul says three times, take this thorn in the flesh from me. Take this thorn in the flesh. And God says, my grace is sufficient. God may allow this this struggle to be there just so you can find the sufficiency of his cross and be a model for us. Be a model for church and the sufficiency and goodness of God. I don't know. But I don't want to make what the church always does is easy, easy, easy. Everything's just easy. No, following Jesus is hard sometimes. But it's worth it. Right? It's worth it. And you have a church that loves you, and you have a saver who loves you. And you have a pastor who loves you. Next thing, don't cave. 
And, and the big thing here is if we cave on what God has said, then what do we have to offer people? I got nothing. Be nice. Root for the eagles. Right? Go Georgia. Right? If I don't have, if I don't have an anchor, this is why I read Jesus' words in Matthew 7. Whoever hears these words and does them, he's on the rock. I want to be on the rock. You want to be on the rock? I want to be on the rock. Right? So we offer hope. We offer it with love. We are not angry. We are not bitter. But we don't cave. We trust the power of the gospel. Paul says that I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. We often think people in certain, oh, God will never reach them. Oh, they're way too far gone. No one was more far gone than the apostle Paul. Y'all, God is either God or he's not. The spirit is either powerful or it's not. We need to trust in the power of the gospel. It, it, it's, it moves. It doesn't take God any more strength to save one kind of person versus another. No big deal for him. Grace is grace. We need to trust in the power of the gospel and keep pointing people to the Savior. Be good friends. Be a good friend. If someone struggles with this, be a good friend. You're gonna walk, just let them know you're gonna walk with them for life. You're a brother and there's no one, and a friend sticks closer, there's no one that sticks closer than a brother. We wanna be like that. We wanna be a brother and a sister. If they share with you, you're gonna pray with them. You're gonna say, hey, I'm here, what do you need? Just be good friends. Last thing is this. Let's start at home. Because again, the church is super bad about saying, this is cherry picking the sin, and we got marriages that are in shambles. Yeah, you want to talk about that, but you ain't take your wife out on a date in six months. So you need to shush. Once you take your wife out on a date, then we'll talk. You're treating your kids and ignoring your kids. You're treating them like junk. And you want to go hammer this sin and watch your, you know, get your news snippets and blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Take care of our families. Let's make the family an attractive place. If, 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 our, if the marriage is supposed to picture the gospel, let's ask some hard questions. Right? Let's take the, the log out of our own eye before we look at the speck in our brothers. Right? That's, that's the idea. Right? I mean, and, and, if, and, and don't make marriage an idol. We make marriage an idol all the time. We've got lots of people, are gonna, God's going to call them to singleness and are going to do awesome things for the kingdom. The most complete man ever walked the earth was single, Jesus Christ. So let's not, oh, when you really get married, you'll be, no. All right, that's a lot, I know. I'm sorry. Um, I'm glad this series is done. I hope it has been helpful. I didn't get fired, I don't think. Um, but here's what I want to remind you of. Wherever you're at, God the Father loves you in Christ. He has demonstrated his love for you in Christ. He is good. His design is good. And if you will put yourself under his authority, if you will put his yoke upon you, you will find life. It might be hard for a while here. In this world, you will have trouble. Take courage. I've overcome the world. Not me. Jesus. Find hope in him. And if you need prayer, you want to talk, you want questions, fill out a connect card, drop it in a box. We'll email you. We'll call you. We'll bring you in. we got some folks praying in the hall after the service if you need prayer for anything. We are here to help you. This is a doctor's office. I got a Z-Pack, a spiritual Z-Pack in my back pocket. We're just going to point you to Jesus. All right, let me pray. Let's stand and let's sing. Father, I just ask that your church would be encouraged by your word. That's a lot, Lord, I know, and well, overwhelming even for me, but I just pray that if nothing else, people would know they have life eternal in Christ and that there is nothing that you cannot forgive that you haven't paid for, Lord Jesus, that we would find encouragement and hope in that. May we be a church that's like a doctor's office, all of us sick but needing a savior. We thank you for being that saver in Jesus' name.